weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies for driving us through the afternoon. It is Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Shane Dawson and you're listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, we have a feature interview with Mount United manager James O'Callaghan, who became the first manager in women's Premier Division history to lead a team to three league titles. Sticking with women's football, we'll hear from Eileen Gleeson as she names her squad for the Nations League doubleheader against Albania. Damien Lawler will round up all the latest managerial movements in inter-county Gaelic games and Mark Langdon will bring us the latest soccer stories from across Europe. As as always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552 or tweet us at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. A force of habit, tweet us at Game On 2FM. Post a message to us on the social media platform X at Game On 2FM. It is great to have your company here on this uh, Wednesday evening. So let us dive straight into soccer news. Megan Campbell has been recalled to the Republic of Ireland squad for the Nations League doubleheader with Albania. The 30-year-old who recently joined Everton on a short-term deal missed the World Cup after failing to make a full return to fitness before the tournament. The defender will look to add to her 47 caps when Ireland hosts Albania next Friday in a sold-out Tallis Stadium before travelling to Albania four days later. Interim head coach Eileen Gleeson has included in-form midfielder Aaron McLaughlin in the squad of 26. McLaughlin was instrumental in Mount United claiming the SSE Electricity Women's Premier Division title last week with two games still to play. Sinead Farley also returns having pulled out ahead of the last window due to concerns around aggravating an injury with a long haul flight. So Eileen Gleeson was on media duty today and the first question posed to her was about the aforementioned Sinead Farley. Yeah, I mean the last camp obviously she had a back issue that she's been managing so it was a medical decision then that wouldn't be beneficial for anybody for her to travel in the long haul travel so yeah she's fully recovered from that so we're delighted to be able to bring her back in. Have you set a target for the players in terms of six points over the next week or so? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, we talked about it in the last camp as well. The expectation is on, on us, obviously, to take six points, and that's exactly what we want to do. But we're not underestimating any anything around Albania and, you know, expect it to be very competitive. So it's up to us to make it happen, and that's really the message that we keep reinforcing for ourselves as the staff and with the players. How are you finding two jobs over the last few weeks? Yeah, look, it's it's balancing as you said, and it's you know it's two really good roles, but it's exciting as well, and I feel like they're both interlinked, so it's all Irish women's football, so it's a, it's a good place to be. Yeah. Those are fitness, or what can you Yeah, look, Megan, as we know, has been out injured. She's been training herself, and she's now signed with Everton, so she's she's training at a really high level. Um, she's still, of course, in a return to play process she's had some minutes but we feel like we can she can still bring something into into the camp or experience and we can start to introduce her to the principles we introduced players in the last camp too for moving forward for the December camp so it's beneficial to us and beneficial to her I think to have her to have her in with us at this point. We know what Megan brings she's comfortable on the ball she's got a nice left foot and you might have noticed in the in the last two games we are trying to build add that to, to the to the game that we can you know play out a little bit more or definitely link from back through the through the third so yeah megan megan is comfortable on the ball she has a nice balance on the left so it, it's definitely another outlet for us to have megan there would you rather play katie in the different room katie can play everywhere <laughs> no do you know what her best is it depends what, what what way we're playing so it's not you know to pigeonhole her into one we know katie has 
really good attributes in forward roles and then she plays you know at the highest level in defensive roles as well so we have a lot of flexibility around and with Katie and I mean that's what Katie is she's a world class talent she's playing at the highest level like she's a key player for Arsenal she's a key player for her she's our captain and yeah it's a huge accolade for both her and us Oh, it's huge. I mean, the importance of the Nations League in terms of qualification for 2025 is really important. And it's the message that we're, we're driving um, with the players that this is the step forward for quali- qualification for 2025. And, you know, the real message is that complacency would be our enemy right now and to underestimate Albania or to just expect that we're going to get six points our make assumptions and that's really the message that we drive all the team meetings is that we have to make it happen so I think the girls know that we understand the importance of it and not just in the immediacy of the six points but in the, the moving forward for that 2025 campaign as well Gleeson of course has to plan without Neve Fahey Aoife Mannion Risha Little John Clare Walsh Tarot Hanlon Roman McLaughlin Jess Sue and Leanne Kernan who are all ruled out through injury Game on Football now I am joined by the very knowledgeable Mark Langdon, sports director with the Spotlight Sports Group to have a look at all the latest stories from across Europe. Um, Mark, let's just dive straight in and it is an international window at the moment. Of course, the European qualifiers are going on. England had a uh, victory last night, but I suppose round it up, what's the state of play at the moment? Any surprise qualifications? Where are we with the qualifiers? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, the, I suppose, bigger nations have have booked their spots. Um, so, uh, as you'd expect, you, England, obviously Belgium, um, you got the host Germany, Portugal um, are going to be there. I suppose in terms of some of the the better um, stories, you'd be looking um, at somebody like Turkey, um, who have qualified and have been dark horses um, before. Um, if you remember going back to. Um, was it the last Euros? People were were getting really excited about Turkey and thinking, could they do it? Um, Austria have had a really good run, um, you know, under Ralph Ranić um, as well. Flopped as as Manchester United's interim manager. Maybe not everything um, that goes wrong at Manchester United <laughs> can be blamed on on the managers. I mean, um, there's been a long list um, of those. So. I mean, I think really because of the way the qualification works out now with, um, you know, so many teams qualifying, I'm not trying to rub it in um, to, to the island supporters, <laughs> but, um, you know, with, with so many teams qualifying now, it's quite difficult, I think, to find um, surprises. Perhaps one of the biggest surprises was that San Marino uh, managed to, to score a goal, their first competitive goal since 2021. They lost 2-1 to Denmark, but at least they they, they, they got on the score sheet. So, um, you know, the state of the play is really that, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be too many kind of big nations, if you like, that are going to miss out. And um, that should bode well for the competition as a whole, but maybe not if you're looking for, you know, dramatic storylines anywhere. Yeah, here's hoping for plenty of competition. I did see those San Marino scenes. It was an equaliser, wasn't it? And it was genuine it was, joy yeah. scenes, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah. Um, you know, an equaliser um, in the second half uh, with under 30 minutes to go. So there was hope at one stage that maybe San Marino were going to secure the most unlikely of points against Denmark. It, it wasn't um, to be. And actually, the game ended in controversial circumstances. Um, Hoyland, the, uh, the new Manchester United striker, 
um, and some of his teammates, including Kier, Simon Kier, they actually accused the San Marino uh, players of deliberately targeting uh, Hoyland's knee um, and trying to get him injured, which um, is, is some accusation um, and, and not one that you would associate with kind of I was going to say professional footballers, most of the San Marino players, I think bar from one, are actually semi-professional, but not something you would expect. And it actually has been levelled at some of the minnows before that, uh, you know, that they are over-physical and they compensate for um, a lack of ability by being, you know, crossing the, the line. And mm. this was certainly the accusation on this occasion. Hopefully he's OK, because Manchester United, there are, haven't been many bright spots in their season so far. But I think that um, Hoyland is probably one that, you know, you can see the potential there and, uh, as to why Manchester United has spent so much money on him. So hopefully um, that rough tackling doesn't rule him out at the weekend trip to Sheffield United. Absolutely. He has uh, been playing very well. Thankfully, there is no such issues for Ireland against Gibraltar in terms of lesser nations trying to stick the boot in. <laughs> on England, are we all just living in Jude Bellingham's world now, Mark? I mean, I was on the the, um, the the show. I think it was last week, and yeah. you know, talking about just the levels that he's had, and you know, I mean, Ballon d'Or conversations. Maybe, obviously, not going to win um, this year's one. Um, Messi's um, going to do that, but um, for his World Cup exploits. But I mean, in future, you're talking about, and that it's not even about him potentially being a superstar. I think he is um, a, a genuine um, superstar now. Um, you know, he is just a player that is playing at the top of his ability. To have, to have adapted so quickly at Real Madrid, uh, I think is remarkable uh, because there aren't many players that that can do that so quickly at a place like Real Madrid because it's not easy. Um, you know, it is an absolute cauldron going there, and to show your best form right from the start. Um, is, is is something that I don't think even probably Jude Bellingham expected. Um, but what he's doing for England is that, you know, it, it, and maybe Harry Kane's the first name on the team sheet, um, but if there was a second one, I think it's Jude Bellingham uh, now, and he's made that number 10 position his own. Um, he is just unplayable, um, I, I think, when, when he's in this kind of form. It's a long while. I suppose that's the, that, that's the downside for England fans. It's a long while between now and the European Championship, and who knows, injuries, fitness form, you know, things can change quite quickly. But, um, you know, it, it, as we speak now, um, there aren't many better players in, in the whole of the world than, than, than Jude Bellingham, an absolute superstar. Well, it's already started. The BBC headlines, can England win the Euros? Is is this team better than that golden era from the mid-90s, etc., etc.? So um, I'm yeah. sure that the hype machine will, will continue in overdrive. Um, Jordan Henderson was booed during the match. And, and like... Uh, I suppose, I don't know, were you surprised by it, by, by England fans? I know Harry Maguire came out and I think he said that real fans don't boo. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I disagree completely with, with Harry Maguire. I mean, he's going to stick up for a teammate. I mean, this is not this is not about football, is it, really, mm. with Jordan Henderson? We're talking about, you know, he made that, you know, he, he made the choice to speak up um, when he did for... Um, you know, sort of, you know, gay rights and mm. sort of, you know, anybody that was kind of suffering um, in, in terms of minorities. He then decided to take the money and move to Saudi Arabia. I think he has to accept the criticism that comes with that. And so I think that actually I, I was surprised that, that the England fans boo because I wasn't sure that they were as engaged in kind of public matters as what they are. But yeah, I, that, I think, think that's that, where that's where I was coming from. Maybe I'm doing them yeah. a disservice like. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think it was, you know, in, in terms of kind of showing your, your kind of feelings towards Jordan Henderson, I think that it was absolutely the right time um, to do it. And I don't think that Henderson can expect to just live a normal life after mm. making that decision. Maybe he feels like he, he could. And the, the only thing I would say is that, you know, Henderson is getting criticised because he stepped up in the first place and there are other footballers um, and other sort of, I don't know, people not even in football, in politics and whatever, that don't put themselves out there and, you know, would make a similar decision and wouldn't be criticised enough. But I think having received the plaudits that he did, for taking the stance that he did, um, and and to go back on that, and to you know to to basically be a hypocrite um, is only going to um, re- result in in bad feeling. And yeah, so I mean, I I think it's absolutely right that the fans have that option to boo. I, I sort of disagree more with the Maguire booing because mm. um, that that feels kind of I don't know a bit. Um, you know that is just football related, and um, yeah, it makes me feel slightly more uncomfortable than the Henderson one. Yeah, it's almost reaching parody levels with, with Maguire now. People just doing it for yeah, sake it of it. Um, Scotland suffered a heavy defeat to France midweek, but after a good run of form, and and there's a lot of talk around, obviously with Euro 2028 bids, who's going to qualify, wild cards, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So a lot of people might be keeping a closer eye on the likes of Scotland and Wales going forward now. Um, like bigger picture, okay, they lost to France, but but how good is this Scotland team at the moment? Yeah, I think that they are um, genuinely, um, you know, sort of not in obviously the top tier of, of European nations, but absolutely deserve their spot, um, you know, based on qualifying. Um, they were exceptional when they beat Spain at home. You know, maybe if things go slightly differently for them away from home and that McTominay free kicks allowed to stand, it was a controversial moment. I think it was probably the right decision just about to um, disallow it, but I don't think it was an, an absolute clear-cut call. They might even have got something out of that game because it, it was obviously a very important moment. You look at their team now um, and that, that they were without some players for that game um, against France. And so that's the issue, I think, for Scotland in terms of depth of quality and what happens when the best players are maybe not always playing. Have you got the replacements to come in? That's still an issue. But if you look at kind of what their best uh, sort of 11 is now, a lot of those players are playing either Premier League or Champions League and are at a high enough level to sort of, you know, deserve to be, um, you know, at that top table. And, um, you know, Steve Clark has done a fantastic job really moulding it all together because there was a time when people were not turning up um, and, you know, I remember Robertson um, not turning up for um, a game and, you know, people questioning his loyalty. Um, you, you don't get that as much now. Obviously, he's injured at, at the moment. Mm. But, you know, people are turning up. They care about um, sort of representing their country. And I think that is half the battle. Um, and you sort of look at somebody like John McGinn um, that, that's adding real quality, I think, to the team. McTominay seems to play better um, for Scotland than he does for Manchester United in a, in a slightly different role. You've got somebody like McGregor who, um, you know, has performed well for Celtic for a long time. You've got Robertson, you've got Tierney. The Clark's found a way to get both of those into the same team. Um, you know, there, there are other players as well. Um, Hickey, that, that's um, obviously um, at Brentford. Mm. So, you know, they, 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 it, it's, it's a good team now and I, I don't think they should talk them 
himself down. You know, there's this always happy to qualify Tartan Army. You know, they're going there for a good time and not necessarily a long time. I think that, you know, this Scotland team needs to kind of almost back itself, actually, to, um, you know, to first of all, be good enough to get out of that group, which has been a problem for them in major tournaments. But, you know, this is a better Scotland team than I can certainly remember in sort of the last decade or so. Good manager, good players, just the squad maybe that... Um, you know, they, 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 they need their best players there because the replacements are not at the same level. OK, that is all positive, but we're going to finish on a negative story, Mark. Um, a betting scandal that is hitting Italian football. So Juventus midfielder Nicolo Fagioli has been banned for seven months by the Italian Football Federation for breaching betting rules. And that kind of follows Newcastle Sandro Tonali and Nicolo Zaniolo, who's on loan at Villa from Galatasaray, they left Italy's training camp. And now, now there's headlines about Tonali now getting a ban. What, what's the latest? What's happening? Yeah, so, I mean, this all comes down really to the fact that in Italy, it's illegal to bet um, on on football. Now, you know, in, say, the, the Premier League in, in England, Ivan Tony's fallen foul of the Football Association rules. But, it, it, you know, it, it, the, the most severe of penalties, actually, for this, and, you know, none of these players are going to get it, but it is, you know, uh, prison sentences. And, you know, it, 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 it's even more serious than it is, um, say, in, in sort of the, the Premier League in terms of, you know, players not being able to bet um, on football. Um, uh, Tonali has admitted, um, you know, um, being involved in betting. His agent's come out and said that he's got a gambling problem and he's trying to... Um, sort of fix that um, you know my sort of judgment on that is always um, you know I, I suppose I'm a skeptic as mm. to kind of you know uh, in, in terms of that but you know if he has got a problem hopefully he can get um, he, he can get that re- resolved uh, Zaniolo um, has been saying that he's been playing he's been sort of playing blackjack and various casino games on an illegal bookmaker site and hadn't been betting um, on football. We'll obviously have to wait to see where the investigation goes there. There have been reports that Tonali was even betting on AC Milan games when he was playing for uh, Milan, betting on them in, in terms of winning rather than sort of betting against them. But again, that will be sort of frowned upon probably even more so than it is, um, I suppose, in, in sort of Britain and Ireland where there is more a culture um, of, of sort of gambling mm. um, rather than in Italy. So it's a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think there's no doubt that he faces um, a ban, um, the length of which we don't yet know. Um, obviously, you know, uh, would be impactful on Newcastle's chances of trying to repeat what they did last season. He was a big signing. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of just have to wait and see how it plays out. But I think there's a kind of cultural difference here um, as well, where, you know, it, it it's not kind of... It's not the done thing, really, to just go and have a bet. I mean, you know, um, as maybe it would be um, sort of for, say, English players, uh, mm. as an example. So, um, you know, it's looked down upon. Um, and, you know, I don't think there was anybody that thought that um, the Italian authorities did the wrong thing in terms of sort of sending them home from the squad. And now we just wait and see how long the ban is. I think, you know, I think that they've accepted that there is going to be a suspension put in place and, you know, it might rule them out of the Euros. We'll have to just wait and see on that. Well, certainly will be interesting to see how it pans out and how that investigation does go. Uh, Mark Langdon, for now, gentlemen, as always, really appreciate you taking the call. Game on. Football. 
well, I'm delighted to say that uh, P-Mount United manager James O'Callaghan joins us now following P-Mount's league victory over the weekend. Firstly, James, congratulations. It's been a, an incredible achievement both for yourself and indeed the club. Now you've had some time to reflect on the achievement of, of winning this year's league. Are you still on the high or what's the overriding emotion at the moment? Hi, oh, Shane. Um, yeah, no, listen, we're, we're absolutely delighted. I think for myself, it's uh, it's more about relief more than anything. And we're just delighted to get there. We were just delighted to beat Wexford because it was, uh, you know, that was a really tough game for us to win because Wexford are top, top side. Probably the most successful team in the league over the years, really, when you add a ball mm-hmm. or trophy count. So, and they, all ha- they had most of their big players playing in, in the game. So, so going down there, you know, it was a really tough game. But I think the girls, they knew what was at stake and the they knew what they had to do and they really wanted it. And we put in one of our actually best performances, I think, down in Wexford because I thought we dominated a lot of the game. And not many teams get to do that down in Ferry Carrick. Mm. What was the message before they took to the pitch? Was it a case of playing the game but also kind of managing the occasion of it all? Because your team is it has a mixture of, yes, players who, who played in the league for quite some time, but a lot of youngsters as well. Yeah, listen, we've been, you know, the, the team has been really consistent over the years, you know, and we've had a lot of near misses as well, you know, so we, I'd like to think that we've learned from those occasions. So so going down on, on Saturday was was all about, I know it's a cliche, but you're looking at your performers and you're looking at certain areas within the performance, like I just tell the girls that I'd have their heads wrecked when saying it to them about KPAs, like key performance areas that we're always focusing on. And it's about just trying to really drill into that you know, and, and, and try to excel in, in those areas and, you know, and just focus on what we have to do. And, and you know, and the girls were great. And, and, you know, there is a really good mix of experience and youth in the team. You know, a couple, especially a couple of young girls, like the young Jess and, and Ellen and Freya, they come through this P-Mount Academy. Um, and they, they've been fantastic linking in them with the experienced players who've been there, you know, over the years. What were P-Mount United's KPAs over the season then? What, what, what got you over the line overall? I knew I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, no, but but that's like it's half tongue in cheek. But also, like I find that fascinating. Kind of getting into to the the mindset of a of a manager of how you kind of set up and process the season. Yeah, well, well, it's, as a as a staff, the coaching team, we're all about trying to get the best out of players, you know, and from a football point of view, and from on the pitch and from off the pitch. You know, we do we do a lot of stuff. Like I, I like to think we are quite good this year, kind of off the pitch stuff. Like we we did a lot of team building stuff in, in terms of going out to the army. We were up the mountains, like doing recovery sessions, having swims in lakes. We were out the Vico, they having reflective sessions. We were doing yoga, all that type of stuff throughout the year. I think it really helps kind of bring bring the team spirit, bring bring the girls together, and you, you know, and it creates that really tight bond, tight relationships because it's. Because you're with each other so much throughout the year, so it's important that, you know, relationships are good. And that's an area that we do zoom in on a lot of the time. You know, and then, you know, on the pitch, like, you know, we, we focus in possession, out of possession. All the teams, I'd imagine, would do this, It's it, you know, in terms of transitions and our set pieces, you know, positivity, our energy levels. They're all areas that we try to, you know, we, we would analyse ourselves in after games. And, and, you know, we'd be looking at, we'd be scoring ourselves. It, we, a lot of the time it's player-led as well and it's coach led as well at times so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background you know to get to this it's well documented the perceived influence that Shamrock Rovers would have had on on this year's league and obviously you guys lost some players to Shamrock Rovers and that's not necessarily something new that P-Mount would have had to contend with or, or other teams in the league as well with players going across to England or even further afield 
in Europe. When you're talking about the unity of the group and everything that you did at the start of the season, was morale low with that whole situation and how much of an obstacle was that for you to overcome? I I, I used to like Rovers in, in many ways. The Rovers uh, club, the brand, you know, created a women's team. Like I'd have been a fan of the Rovers men's team myself growing up as a kid. I used to go out to Glenmore Park and I'd go to watch them. So I've always kind of thought it was disappointing. It took them so long to, to get a women's team. I didn't think it done anything for their image, you know, not, not to have a women's team alongside the men's team, especially in this day and age. Um, so I was delighted that they came on board. You know, they came in with a very aggressive recruitment policy, which is football, I suppose. And, you know, we have to, you kind of have to deal with that and you have to get on with it. It was hugely difficult for us at the time when, when it was happening. You know, we lost a lot of top players uh, early in pre-season and a lot of people were writing us off, you know, but saying that, I still knew we had the nucleus of top top players in our in our squad, and I knew there was young players coming through as well. So it was about just settling down, calm things down, you know. And there was a couple of players that we brought in from the league you know, we, we we would have known about, and it was about bringing them all together and just as I said, then trying to get a plan and a plan of action, getting the boy into it. You know, all our experienced players bought into it. You know, Karen then stepped up to be captain. You know, and, and, and it just it worked out really good. Now, the year has been very difficult, as I said, losing them players. And then, and then we lost, like I said, Dora Gorman and, and Lucy McCartan and Carla McManus, you know, early early in the season as well. And then we've lost Kate Mooney, who went who signed for Lewis, who became a pro- professional over in England. And Tara Hanlon then went on trial to Man United and she, she got an injury or a hamstring, so she's out for the season. And then we lost other players then mid-season as well. And we lost a lot of players. Um, so it's been hugely difficult, difficult season. Um, that makes it all the more amazing the levels of consistency that the girls were able to reach. You know, and I said, I said they were they were hurting, hurting from kind of negativity that was thrown at female at the start and saying what we're finished and stuff like that. And that did help drive drive us on. Yeah, how much extra motivation was that? Um, well, see, the last two seasons have been near misses as well. We, you know, we left. We, we had won two league titles in a row, and we were on course to win a, tri- a third league title. And you know, we're four points up going into the last two games, and, and we blew it. And that was hugely disappointing. And then last season, we had a three-point deduction, which we still feel very grieved by. But I had a massive impact on our momentum last season, and it hurt us. Um, and it took us a while to recover from that. And you know, whenever since mid-season last year, I think we've been. We, we we pretty much won most of our games, you know. So that that has helped the disappointment of those near misses and alongside the kind of losing players and the negativity thrown at us, that has really given us a hunger to drive on. I, also, I would I would think as well if we hadn't have had those near misses, we probably wouldn't be here now to win the league this year. That really strengthened the the mentality, I suppose, as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Our mindset very um very aggressive mindset you know our, our training environment is really good you know we have we're doing three pitch, pitch sessions a week and the gym sessions on top of that and they have the recovery sessions like they're training like professionals it's a really good training environment. the intensity and the tempo is, is really top class and there's good facilities out in female which kind of adds to that as well which helps so the best team in the country the most consistent team in the country was there a specific match or key moment that you felt was the turning point in your season? I think just the kind of just coming together, you know, sitting sitting down and, and coming up and say doing up our values of the team and, you know, the identity creating the identity of the team, you know, that type of stuff. And 
getting people to buy into it and, and, and then doing the training sessions and really getting ourselves ready. And our first match against Alone was, was away to Alone. Alone are a really good side. Like people, like they've, they've probably been unlucky in the league in terms of the position that, that they're in. You know, they, they came second last year. They got to the FA Cup final. They won the, they won the President's Cup coming into our match, their first match of the season. And it was away. It was on the Astro pitch down in Alone, which no one likes to play on. So that was a really big game for us to, to come into because all the stuff was being said, ah, people are any good type of thing. We went down, we won that match, you know, and that gave us a, a real boost. Um, and then there was a four game, four games we had to play mid-season where it was Galway again, Alone again, Shelbourne, Shamrock Rovers. They were they were four four matches, and which I was thinking the league had stitches up here with this run of fixtures. I was saying I was getting paranoid. No, don't get paranoid too easy. But but it was. I said, that's a tough run, tough run of games. But we won them all. And I suppose the, the last match against Rovers, I suppose, when uh, we got the winner with 10 minutes to go, Sive Doyle, it was a brilliant finish. Got a great pass with Aaron Pounce on it and put Sive Doyle in. And we got the goal and, and we won the match. And it was in Tallah Stadium. And there was a lot of female fans there. And you could hear them chanting in the background. And that was a massive game for us. And it was just the whole thing, what's going on in the background, and just to be able to beat them in Tallah Stadium. I think that that really gave us the confidence to kick on. You mentioned in in your post match interview with TG Carr directly after the match at the weekend. You said a great day for the underdog. Is is that how you viewed yourself throughout the year? Yeah, it sounded like a politician saying that, didn't I? <laughs> um, Between that and KPAs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now we do, yeah, we do look, we do look at ourselves as as the underdog. I find it, it's even as we're a standalone club. We're not supported by a professional men's setup. We don't have that the luxury of having those resources pumped into PMELT as a lot of the other teams do now. Straight away, that creates that underdog kind of mentality, and you know, there's pressure coming from. I thought there's a lot of negativity being thrown at as well from the certain sections of the media and, and just different individuals around the football community. You know, so I think that really created that kind of underdog mentality, and it's something that you know the girls have bought. Not that they bought into, they felt it. They've kind of felt hurt and insulted over the years, this season and, be, and previous as well at times. So you know, I'm happy to to go as a, as a, as an underdog rather than be be favourites, I suppose. You know. Do you feel this will ensure Piedmont get the respect they deserve to, to be a force to be reckoned with going forward? And and this just wasn't one last hurrah for the group. Well, I, I hope it's not one last hurrah. I think as it being. Pimeo showing what he can do. It means other teams can can follow suit. You don't necessarily have to have the backing of a men's setup to succeed. And it's quite ironic to think that you know you have to have a, the backing of a men's setup for a women's team to thrive. I think that's kind of really crazy when you think about it. You know, and there's been pressure put on Pimeo that they have to affiliate with a men's team. That's been that's been happening in the background. It's crazy. Like if a women's team wants to go alone and get and try and you know, but you should be getting. Like all the teams, there should be a base funding coming from the government stroke FEI to, to help to help the, the club survive and, and succeed and create a professional environment. And if, and if men's teams want to subsidise their teams, well, that's great as well. But the base funding should be coming in where all the players are rewarded for participating in, in the Irish National League. It shouldn't be a situation where players are feeling that they have to leave this league to go play professional abroad. Like I really think, you know, we have a great little league here. You know, and a little bit, uh, lots more resources pumped into it, and try and create that rugby kind of vibe where all the players are staying in the country, and you have one of the best 
leagues in the world because the gap is not huge you know so the best players were to stay and they were to be looked after you know I think our national league crowds will really grow and people really want to come out to see the superstars play all the time because it's a great little league and it's great experienced players in the league who haven't gone away and there's great young players coming through and I think you know I think that would really feed into the international team and, and become more successful at that level then as well Is this the highest quality and, and most competitive campaign you've been involved in? Yeah, in the sense that there's no easy games and you probably hear people say that throughout the season there's no more easy games and there's not like I think the bottom teams can win on their day where before you, you, you knew to be honest you, you'd know you were going playing certain matches and I knew I could rest certain players and, and it was a handy day and you'd be thinking you know you're going to win them but that's gone so I think that gap from top to bottom has has really narrowed like some very toughest games have been against Treaty this year the three games we played against them they've been all very Close matches only last week we played when we just about got got a two-one win. They're, they've only won one game this season, Treaty. You know, so it just shows you that on their day, and and Cork then Cork went out and beat Treaty then then this week. So it's 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 like it, they're all very close games, tough games, and it's probably it is probably the most competitive league that's ever that's been from my time. This is my seventh season managing Piedmont. It's it's I think it is yeah, which is a good thing because it shows the standards are improving. And long may the continued success. James O'Callaghan, thank you very much for taking the call. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. Game on football. So, Piedmont are league champions, uh, but the league continues. A couple of rounds left. There were three fixtures in women's Premier Division this evening. However, Galway United versus Athlone Town has been postponed due to an unplayable pitch. Two matches are in Dublin. Shelburne hosts Sligo Rovers in Tolka Park. And the recently formed Shamrock Rovers women's side are away to deal or waves. Both matches kick off at 7.45. Now, Damien Lawler is standing by to chat Gaelic Games in a few moments' time. Game on. GAA. Now, RTE Sports, Damien Lawler joins us now because there are a couple of Gaelic Games stories to get stuck into. Firstly, Damien, you have been working on a story involving Wexford GAA and integration. Shane, yes, and the reason it caught my eye really was for the last number of months and maybe indeed the last half of, half of a year, the GEA have been talking about the integration process. Mm. And that means the GEA combining with Camogie Association and, and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. And, you know, there's some big hitters on that integration committee. Um, you know, former President Mary McAleese. Uh, there's high power committees. They're called Lakela. Everything is about integration. Uh, the GPA made significant steps with the with the liaison and the combination with the, with the WGPA. But... For all the meetings and all the, the kind of updates and all the notices, um, a certain problems still remain at grassroots level. And those problems are, what about the personnel in charge of the associations? What about the county chairs, the committees? More importantly, what about the pitches, the facilities, the, the lack of access to facilities, and I suppose the general governance at grassroots level? Because... If you're, if you're coaching a camogie team at the moment or a ladies football team, can you always get access to a pitch? You certainly can't. That, that applies to, to, to GEA in general as well, not just the, the sister associations. But what Wexford have done is for, you know, the last few months they've been looking at kind of sensory needs for, for players and, and maybe, I suppose, younger players with maybe additional needs. And they've done a really good job in incorporating those those people into their family they're now going a step further it seems to me that every project that they're doing uh, it's with an inclusive eye on the future 
and for the, the, the Centre of Excellence that they're planning, the Halo Tile Centre of Excellence. Uh, that's, a, that's a project that's a, a significant amount of money, Shane, mm. but they're doing it with an eye to all associations. And for example, the news that they've released this week or th- that they're talking about will basically open up their Centre of Excellence, but not just to the men's team, uh, to the Camogie Association player, you know, players across all codes, across all levels of ages, and for the Ladies Football Association as well. So it's effectively, if you're a ladies footballer in Wexford, or if you're an underage Camogie player, you've as much access now to this centre of excellence as, as the likes of the men's senior hurling team or the men's senior football team. And people might say, well, what's the big deal in that? Well, Shane, there's horror stories out there mm. of Camogie teams having to, to pay rent for premises and ladies footballers not getting access and having to pay rent you know to, to use a facility that people thought might have been theirs in the first place but this is a significant development it's been in the, the planning process for a couple of years and I was chatting to Wexford Chair Michal Martin and he was kind of outlining to me that it's two years in the making but that this might be a significant kind of signpost for the GEA in general to follow and Shane if you have the clip ready we might hear from Michal now yeah, we're delighted to sign what we believe is is a unique agreement between, with our sister associations here in Wexford. Um, we did set out an action plan way back in 2021. Um, one of the key aspects was developing our facilities, which has been badly needed, our centre of excellence, uh, which will be completed and launched in the next couple of weeks, uh, is going to be an outstanding facility with seven pitches. Um, and in the middle of next year, we look forward to sharing those pitches with our sister associations uh, and have developed an agreement around that. Um, inclusion was a, a crucial part of our of our plan that we set out already. I suppose we've we felt we've led the way in relation to uh, inclusion of children with special needs and so on. Uh, and we're looking for a sensory garden in, in this facility as well. Uh, so it'll be all inc- all encompassing, all inclusion. We're obviously very cognizant of the fact that say the inclusion and uh, a closer linking of the of the three associations uh, is something that everyone is working towards uh, and i suppose there's challenges within that but we feel that this is a significant step uh, in bringing the, in bringing the associations together in our county uh, and we're delighted to see it this is a really really positive news story and, and michael really speaks well there damien perhaps this is something that we might see in in, in other counties well, you see, Shane, what happens there now is when, when we go back to um, the steering committee group and the integration group and all the various stakeholders report back, well, well, now you have a bit of a template in the southeast about how stuff can actually be done. Like, where are bookings taken? Um, is there certain days for certain teams? Uh, what formula will they follow in terms of divvying out the teams, or sorry, the fields and the facilities and the gym? Mm. But it's, it's, a, it's a hub for Wex, the Wexford GEA family. And perhaps that's the way we need to look at things now, because if you're trying to integrate uh, f- four associations together, well, I suppose the GEA, the Camogie and the ladies football, which is three, I guess I mean, you know, talk about the men's football as well. If you're trying to integrate those three groups together, you need signposts to see how it will work. Mm. And you need to know that from grassroots. And I just know from my own experience, it, the inclusion and integration has to happen, Shane. But but how can it happen? It's, it's a different question. And at grassroots is where you're going to find most of the problems. And if, if the likes of Wexford can come together, put together a hub where all the families and teams can draw out of, 
and, and get some kind of sense of order on it and get some sense of unity. Unity is the big word here. Mm. Well, then I think that you're at some, you're, you're going somewhere and you can take the first steps in the process. And I, I actually think that they're probably better off starting off at grassroots and building upwards. That would be my own feeling on it. Okay, well, it certainly will be interesting to see how that one um, plays out. Damien, a couple of other stories, uh, managerial movements. So David Power stepped down from the tip hot seat three months ago as Tipperary Senior Football Manager. Might we have white smoke anytime soon on who will replace him? Yeah, we, we might, Shane, for sure. And uh, my sources tell me anyway, Peter Keane is going to be the man to, to replace him. Or he's set to be the, the man that's in the frame to replace David. Uh, look what David Power did for Tipperary. Possibly will never be equal in this lifetime. Mm. Uh, the, the likes of Liam Kearns and John, uh, you know, the, the, the likes of Liam Kearns and John Evans came in before him and did an unbelievable job at senior level. But David Power has been at the fulcrum of Tipperary from underage level right through to senior. I say he devoted 15 years of his life to it easy. And, and that came from developing squads, uh, it came from minor, under 20, and it came from senior. So he's lost as a colossal one. But at the same time, David will be the first to admit he needed to move on and the team needed a chance maybe to hear a different voice as well. So who would that voice be? Tipperary tried, you know, they, they tried around the place. Uh, they looked hard. They wanted to get the right candidate, and it appears that they have a right candidate. Peter Keane, you know, with what he did with the Kerry Minor team, and I suppose he had relative success with Kerry, but until ultimately in Kerry, your, your success is defined by whether he won an All-Ireland senior title or not. Mm. Um, Peter would have won three minors. He didn't get over the line of the senior, beaten by Dublin in a replay. But what a coup this would be for Tipperary if it goes ahead. He's a high-profile name. Very, 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 very well respected in Gaelic games. Was was coaching uh, down in Killarney Legion this year at club level. Has been busy since he left the Kerry Senior setup. Uh, would bring decades of managerial experience with him. A very successful business person as well. Owns a couple of uh, you know involved with a super value franchise in in Kerry. And uh, effectively, my sources tell me that. He, he might bring a coach from outside of the county, maybe a coach from Kildare, but effectively the rest of the backroom team will be Tipperary made. And uh, I think it's, um, it's a massive, massive coup for Tipperary football at a time when maybe they needed a huge gust of wind behind their sail, if truth be told. Mm. Um, they, they had maybe descended from the high of 2020 after winning a provincial title. They had a, a National League promotion to Division 3, but went back down again. So they're in Division 4, crucial juncture for players like Conor Sweeney coming back from an ACL as good as anywhere in Ireland but you know was he going to commit next year well certainly if the likes of Peter Keane comes in which I believe he will that's a, a seismic development for Tipperary football at a time where whereby it was reaching a crossroad chain yeah. and I think I think the good good managers out there are, are they're scarce they're hard to get and it has to be right for everybody Maybe Peter Keane, I don't know if he feels he's anything to prove at this level. That's probably, he probably doesn't. But maybe he feels he shouldn't be let go by Kerry. Maybe he wants to get back to the coal face again. And certainly with Tipperary, you're looking at Division 4. Can you get out of that? How can you do in the Talchin Cup? And, you know, if you've got a decent draw on Munster, you know, where does that leave you? So, so they, could be his reasonings, or they could be his reasons for going forward. But Shane, it's fairly definite. It's a good news for Tipperary. It's good news for Peter Keane. It's big news in the GEA world as well. Absolutely. All these naysayers of outsiders coming in, Damien. They're having none of it down in Tipperary, though. Well, anytime, anytime, you, can get a lad from, anytime you can get a lad from Kerry football involved in Tipperary, that's a good day every day of the week. Sir. Absolutely. Well, one man that is sticking with his native county is Mick Bone. Uh, he will take charge of the Dublin ladies football team for yet another season. 
Like he will, and he's been in big demand everywhere. So you know, it's it's actually massive news that he's staying with the Dublin Eighties footballers as well, Shane. Mm. Like, is that a surprise? Because if there was talk of him stepping away before the last campaign, but he's really managed this period of rebuilding in a in a hugely successful manner. You have to put your finger on it there, really, Shane. To be honest with you, like there's not a close season goes by where. You know, the likes of myself wouldn't get three phone calls from county boards maybe looking for Mick Bowen's number. He's in, he's in big demand. I would say he's been approached by counties for various coaching or managerial positions over the last few years. I just wonder now, Shane, I think you've put your, your finger on it there. Mm. You know, he had his initial success with Dublin and, and phenomenal success it was. And then Eamon Murray and Meath came in and tried to stick a, a spoke in the, in the kind of the cycle wheel. I just wonder, has he, has he found a way again? Has he kind of maybe remolded the team in in the way he wants, and maybe he looks he looks across at the decks and says, "We could go again here for another year or two. So uh, that, that screams of confidence to me. Um, plus, he clearly enjoys the job, Shane. There's no doubt about that. It's high profile. I'd say they're back fairly well. The team is hugely successful. Hard working bunch of players. He always feels. And I think tactically, he's had to maybe reset the dial and maybe he's happy that he's done it. And maybe he's happy too, Shane, that that he has done it. Maybe he feels that they're going to be up there for the next couple of years. And is he better off staying with the Dublin ladies footballers maybe than maybe going into men's football and taking on a challenge where he might not have the same dynamic around him. But certainly it's good news for the Dubs. And at a time where the cream of our players are being looked at by by. Uh, the Australian game mm. I think it's, it's it's bad news for everybody else because uh, maybe maybe players from around the country are more likely to, to try the Australian rules experiment at this stage I think with Dublin you know there's certain structures there and um, I think you're, you're you're not guaranteed success but you're in the frame for success every single year and uh, it's good news for Dublin 80s footballers Absolutely it'll be Mick Bowen's 8th consecutive season in charge of the Dubs Bowen of course has steered uh, the Dubs to 5 All-Ireland titles uh, Finally Damien um, Justin McNulty looks set to be ratified as, as leash manager would I be right in saying? Yeah it, like he's definitely in the frame for it Shane I, I, you know it's it's been kind of less than clear this week of, it, be, it became maybe a it became more clear earlier in the week that he was in the frame for it. Less so now. The executive had a meeting earlier in the week. Um, Billy Sheehan stepped down maybe in July. Mm. Uh, I think the, the team got to the Talchon Cup semi-final. Leash are a proud football county. They'll have, they'll have, you know, they'll have looked hard to get the right man in there for them. If Justin went in, though, he's, he's, a, he's a member of the, you know, he's in an MLA up in, in, in the north. Mm. And I, I'm not so sure how, you know, kind of, easy the journey down would be with all the kind of commitments he has so maybe that's something they're looking at but his name was in the frame uh, when he was in charge last time around maybe 13 years ago Shane he did a right good job for want of a better description uh, you know the team reached the, uh, the, the latter series of an All-Ireland campaign uh, got promotion to Division 1 he did some really good work with them and I think at the moment if Peter Keane goes to tip it's just Leash and Waterford that's left and uh, you, you heard names in the mix for that job over the last few months, the likes of Ger Brennan, but Ger Brennan is tied up elsewhere. So I think, I think they'll be hoping sooner rather than later to tie that one up. And why really? Well, every team wants certainty around where they stand. But Shane, I'd like to say it. I mean, you know, players are back doing their programmes already. Once the club championship fizzles out, the squads will be back fairly soon, you know. And I think nobody will want to be left behind the eight ball 
with regards to pre-season training. Um, and I think that Leash will want to get their man sooner rather than later. And I think the name of Justin McNulty is a high-profile one. It's a proven one in terms of what he's done with Leash in the past. It wouldn't be a bad choice whatsoever, but I'd say it rests to whether Justin can fit it into his schedule. I'd say that would appear to be the that would appear mm. to be the dilemma at the moment. So it's not quite there, but he's definitely still in the frame, I think. Okay, not a done deal just yet. Damien Lawler, thank you very much for taking the call. Damien will be down in Kerry on Saturday. Dingle versus Mid-Kerry in the Kerry Club Championship semi-finals live on RT2 and the RT player from 5.15. Damien, for now, thank you. Game on. Gaelic football. Well, Sinead, that is all we have time for. Now, before we do go, a little earlier, I did say that two of three women's Premier Division matches were going ahead. However, following a pitch inspection at the UCD Bowl, the game between DLR Waves and Shamrock Rovers has been postponed. So Tolka Park is standing tall. The only match in the women's Premier Division this evening, Shelburne hosting Sligo Rovers at 7.45. But that is where we leave you. Better de Silva is up next, so do stay tuned to 2FM. A big Thanks to Andrew O'Connor who produced this evening's show. Game On is back tomorrow from 6pm. But for now, from all of the Game On team, it is. Bye-bye.